this lesson or this lesson series that we're doing um, kind of comes from kind of comes from a uh, a pursuit of what God is wanting to do uh, in our midst and with us as a, as a congregation as a people of God. I feel. Uh, the Lord really beginning, well, He's been doing it for a while, but I feel a stirring, a calling to, I guess, a higher place, to deeper places in the Lord. And uh, I think that those, and believe that those places are promised places. And uh, we were praying in the, uh, this morning, and uh, the song came on about leading us into the promised land. And that, and that promised land and the idea of the promised land is really what was on my heart whenever I started praying about this, this lesson series. And uh, next week we're going to actually land in Hebrew. <laughs> we're going to actually find ourselves studying Hebrews and, um, and really seeking the Lord and, and talking about what it means to dwell in the promised land, to inha- inhabit the promised land. Uh, and that's why the series, this series I've called it uh, I've been talking about inhabiting places. So um, last week we talked about inhabiting the living waters and how the branch touched our lives and how the branch is able to turn our bitterness into sweetness. And um, God's able to do that today. And, uh, and in that, there's a song that should and is in our hearts when we consider all that the Lord has done. And uh, so that was really kind of a recap, a little bit of what happened last week. And I want to inhabit those places of the living water. I want to inhabit the places where, his, where he is able to turn the things that I thought were bitter into something that's sweet. Amen. So uh, today we're going to actually be talking about inhabiting the mountain of inheritance or inhabiting the rock. I probably just gave away everything that I'm going to talk about in saying that, but inhabiting the rock. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Before we get started here, could we just close our eyes and lift our voices to the Lord and ask Him to bless us today? I know we will. Lord Jesus, we give You glory and we thank You, God, for this opportunity. Thank You, Jesus, for the power of Your Word and Your calling and the promised places that You're calling us to inhabit. I pray today, Jesus, by the power of Your Spirit, that You would cause us, Lord, to receive what is about to be spoken. Lord, let it transform us. Let it mold us, God, as we place ourselves in Your hands, O God, to mold us at the anvil of faith, O God. Craft us, Lord. Have Your will and way today. Let our faith be perfected today. In Jesus' name I pray. We give You praise. Amen. Amen. So, we're going to start today uh, beginning with Exodus uh, 3 and 10. Uh, But before I get to that, I just also, uh, last week I meant to do this, uh, but completely forgot, so I don't want to forget today. Um, So, last week whenever I started, I wanted to introduce a book to you. um, And it is called... Well, I thought I had it written down here. So... Yeah, I'm going to have to do it next week. Where did, I, where did I put that? Oh, no, I found it. It's in here. I found it. It's just buried away. It's called uh, The Essential Grandparent, A Guide to Making a Difference. And uh, I've been working on a lot of discipleship stuff. I've been trying to 
write lessons, and I've been uh, really digging into what it means to disciple. And uh, this is one of the books that I went to. You know, a lot of different seasons in our life uh, come with different hardships, but also different blessings and, um, and different responsibilities. And, I, and this book called The Essential Grandparent, A Guide to Making a Difference, really places uh, squarely on our shoulders uh, how important being a grandparent is. Uh, the kind of memories that you're able to instill in children, the, uh, the teaching that you're able to instill. And really, it's a, it's a book about ministry, but it's, very, it's really practical. So uh, today, if you maybe have been thinking, well, you know, I'm entering a new season. And, uh, you know, God, what are you calling me to do in this new season? Well, this might be a good book for you to check out. It's really excellent. The Essential Grandparent, A Guide to Making a Difference. Amen. Um, and that, that'll just be really enriching to you if you, can, if you can get that and take a look at it, especially if God's working and, you know, um, you know, speaking to your heart about it. Amen. So there's my plug-in. I didn't forget it. But today we're going to start with Exodus 3 and 10. And here this is a place where Moses has a call from God. And I mentioned this last Sunday about Moses having a call narrative or a call story. It's whenever God appeared to Moses and began to ask him to go do some things. And we're going we're gonna to take a look at that beginning with verse 10. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12, and he said, certainly, I will be with thee, excuse me, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Say that with me. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel... And shall say to them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? So here Moses is hearing what God told him, what God wants him to do. And he says, Okay, so what am I going to say? So God, and that's that's the first excuse sort of that he has. Well, I don't know what to say. I don't even know who you are. So he asked God, What shall I say? And then God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He reveals to Moses his name. And he said, Thus shalt thou say, and the children of Israel, uh, unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. So Moses says, What am I going to say? God says, Okay, this is what you're going to say. So after he tells Moses, This is what you're going to say, if we go to slide three, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto me. This is in the next portion of Scripture in chapter 4. Hearken unto my voice, for they shall say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So whenever he says this, um, there's a few things that that God tells Moses he's going to have in this this story. There's a few things that he gives Moses as, as a way to show that he is credible. 
And the first thing that he gives Moses is his rod. He says, Moses, look in your hand. You have a rod. So Moses looks in his hand, but the rod becomes a snake. And God is going to use this sign as a way to give Moses and establish Moses' credibility. What's interesting is, is that God doesn't tell Moses to grab the back of the head of the snake, which is a proper way to, to handle it. But in the scripture, which I haven't included here because it would be too much, uh, Moses seems a taken back. Some people think, well, maybe the snake was a dangerous snake. Maybe it was poisonous. Maybe, you know, if it bit him, it would be some really bad, bad news for, for Moses. So when God gives him this sign, he says, Moses, don't, don't take it by the head. Take it by the tail. Now, now, that's pretty interesting because now here's this poisonous snake with fangs. Hey, I don't like fangs, let alone poison. So, uh, you know, it doesn't seem too appealing to me. And Moses stoops down and he grabs the snake by the tail. Um, but, so, th- this is interesting. It's also interesting to consider what a rod uh, meant to, um, to a shepherd. You see, and we probably know this, but the rod was not only a walking stick to help steady the shepherd as he walked, but it also helped guide the sheep. Um, and if we imagine uh, the, this sign of authority and uh, confirm or really credibility that he's given Moses, we see that this dangerous animal or this dangerous reptile with fangs and poison uh, was not going to be able to harm Moses whenever he picked it up by the tail. And so in a sense we see that God is saying maybe in a prophetic sense to Moses, if there comes a danger upon you while you go get my people, it'll be subverted. Its fangs will not harm you. Its poison will not infect you. I'm going to protect you. So in this sign of the walking stick and the, and the guiding of the sheep, God says, I'm going to subvert the dangers wherever you walk. I'm going to subvert the dangers that might come upon my people. So this is a credit. This is a sign that he gives Moses. The second sign is that Moses takes his hand and sticks it into his robe and pulls it out and it's leprous. So his skin begins to decay. His skin has some pretty big problems. I don't think an ointment's going to help it. And then he sticks his hand back into his, his robe and pulls it out. And it's healed. So God has done this miraculous healing for Moses. And in, in the Old Testament, whenever a person had this disease, this leprosy, it was seen as an act of judgment of God upon the person that had it. And so God gives Moses this sign of, or this leprosy and then takes it away. And it really is a sign that God is the judge. God, in, God bestows judgment. And that he causes it to come to pass. He lifts. He, he, he can lift it. So this is a sign to Moses that, that where you're getting ready to go, it's not... E- Egypt was an earthly kingdom that you ruled under. That when you said this to be done, it was done. But you couldn't heal leprosy. God healed his leprosy, this skin disease that was considered to be a judgment of God. And I think, to me, that sounds like God is saying... this. You are now under my divine kingship. No other, no other person can take this leprosy and heal it the way I can. I'm going to pass my judgment and it's going to be holy. You're a part of a new and in a holy kingdom while you follow me. And the third, the third sign that he gives Moses 
is that the water becomes blood upon the dry land. And we might recognize that as one of the, one of the miracles that happens as, mo, as the children of Israel being delivered from Egypt when the Nile was turned to blood. But, and, and, and we talked a little bit about that uh, yes, or last week whenever we said, well, the Nile was another god. So here Moses is given this sign where the water turns to blood and whenever Moses, uh, whenever the river turned to blood, that was the life, that was the life stream, if you will, of, of Egypt. Everything that, they, everything that they would reap from the land, all their drinking water, all the stuff that gave them life was in the Nile. And whenever that became blood, it became undrinkable, unusable. And in a sense, the very river god that the Egyptians served was, was destroyed. So God said, I'm going to give you this sign as a, as, a credit to the, as a credit to you for the people that they know that there is no other god beside me. I am the god that is high and lifted up. And I will bring destruction upon any other so-called god that might be before you. So God destroys the river god, the Nile. So these are some really powerful things that God gives to Moses. So whenever Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. God said, here's, here's some credibility. I'm going to send you with this. The interesting thing is, uh, another interesting thing is, is that Moses kind of bartered with God in this, in this situation. So there are two opinions uh, given about Moses' reluctance to go uh, involving his speech. The first thing is, the first idea or uh, belief is that, you know, well, Moses really did have a speech impediment and he had, or he had a really bad uh, problem or a heavy tongue um, for whatever it was. There could have been a, a whole list of things that he said, I disqualify myself from the work of God because of this. And God said, oh, no, I'm going to make a way. And then still, yet Moses resisted. So after God said he was going to give him all these, what they're called, or they're proving acts, I'm going to give you all these miracles, and you're going to go and get my people, Moses still said, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm not qualified. I can't do it. And, and so in a sense, Moses was doing this wrestling thing. It wasn't just bartering, which was the second idea that Moses was saying, oh, no, I can't do it because it was a tradition of the Old Testament to, to try to, um, you know, say, well, I can't do it or, you know, oh, no, I don't have that much. And then the person lowered their price. You know, he was, he was thinking, well, if I say, oh, no, I can't do it, maybe God will say, oh, all right, yeah, you're right. But that's not what God did because God had made a decision. He said, no, I've revealed myself to you. I've given you a name, I've, I've revealed my name to you, and you're going to go. <laughs> and he said, your, your, your excuses, basically, your excuses are not going to cut it with me. And, um, and Moses, Moses, uh, Moses ended up going. But in the middle of all this, if Moses had not wrestled, if Moses, if Moses had so much belief... Uh, or how do I say this? Um, that's, not, that's not the right word. But if Moses had just said, oh, yeah, there's a burning bush, okay, I'm going to go, and he didn't wrestle with God, or he didn't say, 
what shall I say if he didn't have a little bit of understanding that he couldn't do it himself, then God would have never said to Moses, I am that I am. He would have never had the revelation of his name. And so in a sense, this speaks to us that, yeah, we are human. We have limitations. And we can't do things on our own. It can't be all us. It has to be us in a, in a relationship and in coordination with God. Because anything less isn't going to cut it. I, um, I had a, I've had that situation in my own life of, of trying to barter with God. And I think maybe some of, a lot of us here, maybe all of us, have had that same situation, that bartering with God, that feeling of God, I am not equipped, I don't have what it takes to do what you're asking me to do. My, uh, my situation, um, one that really sticks out to me, um, it, right, after, right after seminary, I was getting ready to graduate, and my professor said, you know, Blake, I think you'd be really good at going into chaplaincy. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. I have a really weak stomach, to tell you the truth. If I see things, I feel faintish like that. And, uh, and it, can be, it can be difficult, you know. And, and that's, that's what I was thinking in my mind. You want me to be a chaplain whenever I see a terrible wound or something, and the first thing I want to do is just pass out. You know, that's, I don't see how that's, gonna be, how that's really going to work, you know. And, um, well, he convinced me, and I said, all right, I'm going to go. I know, and I was in Moses' place at this, at this point in life, uh, well, in every point, most, you know, I, I, I say, well, can I do this? If I can't do it, God, I need your help. So that's what I was doing. I, rec- I recognized that, hey, I'm not capable of doing this on my own. God, you're going to have to do something. You know, you're going to have to go before me. And, um, and so I did some praying, and I decided, you know what? This feels good. I, I, the voice of the Lord said, go do it. So I enrolled and I went. And, you know, there's a lot of things I did see. And one, one, one visit in particular just really sticks out. And uh, so this lady, this lady had a, um, had a blood, had a vein fused with a capillary. And I guess the, the amount of, now if this is gross, I'm sorry. I understand. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll uh, I'll roll this back a little bit, but anyway, uh, she she put her she put her arm up and she goes here. I want you to feel this, and and the arm and the the vein thing was right here on her arm, and uh, I was like, nah, <laughs> nah, I think I'm all right. Uh, I don't really want to touch that. And she goes, oh no, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Just yeah, right here. Just put your finger right here. And I'm like, uh, she's like, come on. And I'm like, uh. So, I, so I, I walk over there, and I stick my finger on that. And when I stuck my finger on that, it, it, uh, it felt like, it's, like this sounds. And I was like, oh. I'm gone. I'm a goner. I said, I need to sit down. I, I, have, a, I have a kind of a weak stomach for that kind of thing. I have, and the man, they laughed. Hey, that's what they needed in the moment. But, man, I thought I was going down. I had to find a, I had to find a chair. My, my face probably just looked like there was no color in it because that's how I felt. Um, 
you know, and, and it's that kind of, it's that kind of thing. I, I knew that I wasn't physically equipped for what I was about ready to walk into. Uh, I knew that it was going to be impossible for some of the things, of, you know, for some situations for me to be in in my own power. But um, when God said go, you know, He means go. And He doesn't just send us by ourselves. You know, and I learned that uh, throughout my time there. Um, you know, I, I had these moments that my, my supervisor said, Blake, you have a lot of leper moments. And uh, those, and it's funny because there were multiple, like my, a majority of the time that I was there, I was always encountering these situations that I told myself, I can't stand, I can't, I'm not going to be able to bear it. I was in a majority of situations where I should have passed out or I should have not been able to handle it. And it's interesting because now that I'm out, I still have that weak stomach, you know. Uh, it's like when, while I was there, God equipped me for what he was going to do. And now, you know, outside of chaplaincy, now... It, you know, that, that's to say this, I didn't just become accustomed to seeing things. You know, it didn't just become this, um, oh, yeah, I've encountered this so many times, so now I'm comfortable. You know, because I still have that reaction now that I'm outside of chaplaincy. But I, these leper moments were situations where people were really, in a sense, the untouchables. They seemed... Um, Hard to, hard to talk to or hard to be around um, or hard to touch. It really, and it really they're, they're hard to literally touch because of some of the stuff that they're going through. Uh, I'm talking about having to gown up, putting the gloves on, putting the mask on in a, in a negative airflow room, you know, getting the stuff out, out of there, cleaning the air because of what was going on. And so I was in this room and this lady... Uh, she had a skin-eating disease. It was literally eating her away. And she had patches of skin that was gone on her face and on her arms. She had some amputations. And, um, but she had one arm and one hand. And uh, I walked into that room, and I was, a little bit, I was a little bit nervous about going in there, to tell you the truth. Um, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to encounter, but not only that, I wasn't quite sure if I was going to get something or what I was going to touch. But whenever I saw her and I walked in and saw her face, all of that stuff kind of just left. And I sit down with her and started talking to her. Now she started sharing her story. She was saying, yeah, I'm in this condition, but I still have hope for some things I want to do. And when she started sharing that hope with me in her situation, it was just really overwhelming. And, I, and it was overwhelming for her, too, because she could see that she had things she wanted to live for still. And I reached over and I grabbed her hand, maybe a hand that no one else had grabbed. And I sat there with her, and I, I shared that moment with her. And when I grabbed her hand, she just started just weeping, just weeping, because God had met her there. Because it wasn't just my hand reaching for hers. It was God's. It was God's. Whenever we go into situations that we don't feel prepared for, it's not just us that's going. God's going with us. That was a proving act of God in my life. When He said, I'm going to send you into situations that are hard and that you don't feel prepared for. And I'm going to do something that you can't do, but only I can do. I'm going to give comfort to this lady. And deep in her soul, 
And that's what happened. That's what happened. You know, service meant God would be with Moses in, the, in miraculous ways. He gave him the rod. He gave him the sign of leprosy and the water and all this. So he had protection from dangers, life in a new and holy kingdom, and the utter defeat of any other God who would go before him. Moses didn't have an excuse. God said, I'm going to give you this call. And you're going to go because you don't have an excuse not to go. And if all you can say is that I'm afraid or I am a little bit nervous about going into this situation, that's, that's not an excuse. You're still going to go. And so in Exodus, we see this powerful call story of Moses going. And he says, I have sent you forth, the I am, the great I am. When thou hast brought forth the people, remember we said this, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you will serve God upon this mountain. So Moses had a destination. He knew what he was supposed to say. He knew God was with him in these mighty proving acts. And he said, okay, now you're going to go do it. And you're going to bring my people to this mountain. And this is slide four, Mount Sinai. So we're going to see some really interesting things happen here. And if we recall uh, last Sunday, and uh, we covered uh, Exodus 15, the song at the sea. And one of those verses, uh, Exodus 15 and 17, says, Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. So the very mountain that Moses received his call, God said, you're going to bring them here and you're going to serve me. And this was a place that God wanted to plant or establish his people. He wanted them to be there with him. So finally, after Moses goes and gets Israel out of Egypt, they arrive at the place where God said they would serve him. Mount Sinai is the place God wanted to do something special with Israel before going into the promised land. So he wanted to plant them at this mountain before they went into the promised places. And here at Mount Sinai, Israel was meant to have an experience with God that had, they had never had or seen up to this point. God wanted to plant them in the mountain of their inheritance, which was to bring them into a holy encounter with His glory. So let's take a look at the scriptures. There's a lot of scriptures here to follow, but I've, uh, I have this PowerPoint behind me to kind of follow along. Uh, Exodus 19.1 In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. So here they are. They're camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thou shalt, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, can we say that together? Obey my voice and indeed and keep my covenant. Can we say that together? Keep my covenant. Then you shall be a peculiar people unto me above all people, for the earth is mine. And ye shall, say unto, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. 
So he, says, he tells Moses, If you will obey me and keep my covenant, then you'll be a peculiar people. But what did the peculiar people mean? The peculiar people meant that they would be a kingdom of priests and, the, and a holy nation. So the kingdom of priests means that together they must give leadership. Leadership to who? Leadership to everybody that they come in contact with. So they weren't just supposed to be the wonders. They were supposed to be leaders. So that's a king of priests. And to go further, the king of priests was a Yahweh's chosen, God's chosen or holy people who will be a nation that serves Him as a go-between. So they're to be a, a priest. They're supposed to be people who help communicate to the rest of the world who God is, revealing His power and His will to all people. Wow. A kingdom of priests are people who reveal His power to everyone else. Well, I know that they couldn't do that on their own. God had to equip them. God had to give them Authority. God had to take the proving acts He gave to Moses and said, all right, if you obey me and keep my covenant, I'm going to do some mighty things with you. I'm going to show all the world who I am and you will reveal my power to all people. I want to do that today. I want to be part of that calling today that reveals the power of God to all people. It's in our lives today because we have the Holy Ghost. He can do it. Hey, if you want to reveal the power of God to all people, why don't you just clap your hands today before the Lord? Lord, that's what I want to do for you. I want to reveal your power to all people. Israel, uh, they, as a kingdom of priests, they were, com they were committed. They were committed to the extension of God's presence in their world. Likewise, I also hear that call to be responsible. For the, for the going out or the extending of God's presence into the world. And the second thing, the holy nation. Together they must offer sacrifice and demonstrate corporately the holiness and distinct nature of God in their way of life. It wasn't just individually, but as a people, as a group of people. And if we hear it in our language, as a church. This means a nation that is set apart from other nations because of a special covenant relationship with God. We're special because of how closely we know God. How closely we can walk with Him. How closely He calls us to walk with Him. How closely uh, we are able to, uh, to speak with Him. They are a people set apart, different from all other people, by what they are becoming. That's also another important part of the holy nation. It's a, it's, it's a process of becoming. That means there's motion. There's motion in their spirituality. There's motion in the time they spend with Him. There's motion in what, they're, what they go and do for Him. They are becoming. And they are becoming a display people, a showcase unto the world. This is the holy nation. So he says, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, I'm going to do these things with you. I'll make you a kingdom of priests, and I'll make you a holy nation. In carrying out these callings to be the kingdom of priests and a holy nation, Israel is a special treasure who has an authority and royalty as an extension of God's kingship. Amen. So let's go to slide six. So we see Israel, if we obey and keep your covenant... Then we'll be a peculiar people. Exodus 19 and 7. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people. 
and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Exodus 19.8, And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So, Moses said, told them, Okay, if you obey, keep my covenant, I'm going to do these things for you. And then the people responded and said, Okay, God, we'll obey you and we'll keep your covenant, just like you asked. Let's be the peculiar people. Let's go do it. They were ready. But Exodus, and, but we're going to see some other stuff happen to Israel after, after this statement of faith, when they said, okay, we're going to obey. And the Lord said to Moses, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee. So this says to me that the, God wants the people in such close proximity that they can hear the words of God spoken to Moses. Up until this time, Moses had been the intermediary. Moses had been the one going before God. But God said, Moses, the peculiar thing I want to do with the people will obey me, I want to speak to them. I want, I want them to be so close that when I speak to you, they hear me. And I want to hear God. And he continues in saying, Believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the, Lord, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people unto Mount Sinai. So what a powerful blessing God wants to give Israel. He tells Moses, If they're going to obey and keep my covenant, I want to speak to them like I've never spoken to anyone else. And if we can hear that as well, if we can hear that desire for God to obey and be in relationship with Him, He will speak to us in ways that we have never, ever heard Him speak before. He wants us to grow continually, to be in the process of being. And when we engage that process, we can hear Him more clearly and know Him more each and every day. He wants us near Him today. Nearer and nearer. And I want to hear that call. I want to respond to that call. But he said, before this happens, there's going to have to be some things that the people do. They're going to have to go and sanctify themselves. They're going to have to go make sure they're clean. Go for three days. Clean them, get sanctified. And then I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to carry through with this desire that I have. This is God to Israel. So let's see Exodus 19.12. So because God's holy presence is there, there needs to be a boundary established. And God says, And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mountain, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. So that's pretty scary. Don't touch the mountain. I don't know if I'd even want to go near it if that was the case. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. And he said, when the trumpet soundeth long, say that with me, when the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. So God says, I want to speak with them, but there's going to be some boundaries. Whenever the trumpet sounds, though, they can come up. So they went and prepared, slide eight. They went and prepared. They went and got sanctified. 
They prepared themselves to meet with the Lord. And then we go to 1916. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. So this isn't long. This is just exceedingly loud. It's like one of those really loud air horns that someone lays on in a semi-truck or something. It's, you know, it's just really loud, but it's not long. And, and, and the verse goes on to say, so that, the pe- so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. This scared them. Whenever they heard, whenever they saw the mighty God rise up above the mountain and the thunderings and the cloud and the loud trumpet, something in their soul trembled. They said that they were afraid. And as I've already talked about, fear can do some things that makes you a little bit reluctant. And Moses brought forth the people into the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. So when God said, I want to talk with them, I want them to be in proximity to you such that they can hear my voice, whenever this, this phrase is, is used, to meet with God, this literally means to meet with God face to face. This isn't far off. This is close. This is in conversation. This, this is in proximity where someone has a, a, a communication with somebody. So if, if, you, if we were talking to one another, that would be what this means, face to face. And that idea is communicated when God says, I want them to be close enough to hear me. So we go on. And all of this is building to a point. So we're, we're almost there. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended. So this is the first descent. The Lord arrives at the top of the, uh, above the mountain. He descends and He's right here, right above the mountain. <clears throat> Upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long, So now this is it. The voice of the trumpet isn't short. It's not just loud. It's long. And waxed louder and louder. Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down. So instead of being at the top of the peak, God comes down on the top of the mount. This is the second descent. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down. Charge the people, lest they break through unto God, unto the Lord, to gaze, and many of them perish. Wow. Okay, so what just happened? What just happened here? So God says, my plan for Israel is for them to be so close to me that they can hear me, that I can have a face-to-face relationship with them, and now I've descended, or God's descended, and He said, no, don't tell them not to come up unless I break forth upon them. You see... They were afraid. The scripture said they trembled. They doubted. They didn't trust God. And they weren't willing to obey God. And we're going to see that in a second. We're going to see that in a second as we go on. And we're, we're going to see how God knew what, is, what Israel was doing whenever he descended. And, but God said, okay, the people can't come up now because... They're afraid. They trembled. Let the priests, though, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. So he said, okay, the people can't come up, but the priests can. 
Okay, so God, God's still trying to reach, reach him, make a way. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain, sanctify it. God just said to go get the priests and bring them up. And Moses said, But God, you said you're going to kill somebody if that happens. So here Moses was, which was his duty to think about the people, but Moses was afraid. Moses was like, man, if we come up here, there's going to be a lot of people going down. We can't do that. So Moses said, no, we can't come up, God, because of what you said. But that, God did say that, but God had just in that moment said, tell him to come up. And the Lord said unto him, away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. And let not the priests and the people break forth to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. It's interesting here because Moses is the mediator. He's the one that is acting as the high priest for Israel. So Moses, as a priest, said, no, they can't come up, and trembled, and was afraid. And, he, and God said, okay, now the people and the priests can't come up. That's really, that's really like just in our faces. I think it's challenging. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. And when Moses went down in between Exodus 19 and 20, the law is given. Israel knows what they're supposed to do. And we arrive at Exodus 20, 18 and 19. These are the last two verses I'm going to cover here. This, this, now, as I said earlier, Israel trembled. And this is whenever Israel trembled. This is what was happening. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. God said, come up. Come see me face to face. And what did Moses say? Or, I mean, what did Israel say? They said, okay, God, we'll do all you say. We'll do everything. We'll obey and keep your covenant. So God says, come on up, Israel. And what do they do? They get afraid and they back up. And they're disqualified. God said the people have trembled, they've doubted, they've disobeyed already when they said to me that they would keep everything that I said. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear it, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. See, these were their thoughts that God knew, and they were prepared not to obey God. They were prepared not to obey. They were prepared to let Moses know God face to face because of their fear. They said, let Moses go and communicate with God. Moses, you go up there. You've been up before God before. Man, if He strikes you, if he strikes you down, better you than us. I mean, they were afraid. And it caused them not only to doubt, but to disobey. Fear can be powerful. You see, within this account of Israel at Mount Sinai, we have a scene where God has appeared in a mighty way before the people. He tells them, If you obey and keep my covenant, you will be a peculiar people, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Unfortunately, I think Israel missed out on something God wanted to do here at Mount Sinai. After entering the promised land, uh, uh, this is something God wanted to do for him. After entering the promised land, He wanted to change him here. He wanted them to be a people that met with Him face to face. 
So God knew these people were not prepared for war, as we mentioned last week. They were on their way, nevertheless, to inherit a land of promise. What would have happened if the people could have obeyed, trusted God, and were able to meet Him face to face, as was His intention when they left that camp? Would they not have entered the promised land as a kingdom of priests in a holy nation? Would Canaan maybe have been inhabited in a different way? Had Israel entered in as a peculiar people they were meant to become at Sinai? Consider the law they could not endure. What would have happened if they had been able to receive the law after meeting God face to face as Moses? Something makes me feel like, hey, if I met God face to face, it might be a little easier to keep some of these commandments. But they missed out on the first part. So they couldn't keep the second part. Sinai was a place of covenant with Israel. I wonder if this place would have been the epicenter of transformation that would have seen the wish of Moses fulfilled in their present day when he spoke to Joshua about more being like him. However, if we miss this important lesson, we have missed a lot, which is the fact that Israel was afraid, but they still should have obeyed. They were afraid, but they still should have obeyed. Isn't that what they said they would do? Isn't obedience better than sacrifice? If He said, come up, then I must come up. I refuse to let fear disqualify me by causing a lack of obedience to exist in my life. Hey, God is worthy of more than that. His proving acts are too abundant for me to doubt Him. Oh, hallelujah. I can't doubt Him today. I can't doubt Him today. He's done too much. I've seen Him do too much. I've seen Him heal too many people. I've seen Him deliver too many people. I've seen Him do too much to doubt Him today. I've seen Him do too much to not go up that mountain. But I will go. That's my answer today. I will go. Furthermore, if I let fear control my obedience, I may miss the proving acts on the mountaintop that God wants to give me for promises I have yet to inhabit. What proving acts did Israel miss taking to Canaan because they were afraid and prohibited from going up the mountain? They conquered Canaan by war, but what if they could have conquered Canaan by a message of peace? By an invitation to meet God face to face. I can't help but think that today, that they missed taking this powerful blessing to a land that didn't know God. I don't want to miss taking the blessing of this message, of this gospel, to a world that can be transformed by knowing Him. I'll go up that mountain today. Just as God had established covenant and revelation to Moses on the same mountain, I believe He wanted to do do the same with Israel. 
but they could not go because it was too much for them. It was too much for them. If they didn't meet God face to face, if they disobeyed in that, how could they ever keep the law? If they could not follow through with just obeying them, how would they ever follow through with the second part that God said, keep my covenant? They couldn't do it. So my story, I wonder what miracles may I have never seen if I didn't go up that mountain. If I didn't hold the hand of the poor lady who was in dire straits that day, who had a hope in her heart and who cried tears as I sat there and ministered to her in the presence of the Lord. What stories might I have never heard as people told me about their faith in God? About their love for God? What glory might I have never seen in the stories of those who were seeking God is my question. What glory might I have missed out on? Not necessarily being in, but well being in, but also seeing. I think I would have missed out on quite a bit. I walked into this room of one lady while I was chaplaining. And I'd been praying. I pray on my way to the room. I pray on my way back. I just pray. And I walked into the room and the lady was having a situation. I was called up there. They said, hey, this lady wants to talk to you. I said, all right, I'll be right up. So I went up there. Knocked on her door. Door was shut and latched. And uh, I walked in. I knocked. I walked in. I said, hello. She said, hey. I said, can I come in? Oh, yeah. So I come in. I shut the door and I latched it nice and good because she was weeping. And seemed like she was lamenting a little bit and she's grieving. And I knew that it was going to be an intense conversation. So I latched that door real good and I walked over. And I started talking to her. And she started telling me about her life, her sincere faith in God, and all the things that she believed God could do, and her relationship with God. And she started saying, you know, I've sought God for a long time. All my life I've been praying. I pray for my kids. I pray for my family. I pray for everyone around me. And I'm just hungry. I just want to know God more, is what she said. And as she was talking, we were standing there, and the door behind me came open. It clicked, and it opened. No one was on the other side. I shut that door nice and tight. I know I did. And she said, Jesus just came into the room. I said, yes, Jesus is here. He's in the room. I knew he was there before that door opened, but maybe she needed to see that door. That's the sign. The door is open. She said, will you pray with me? I said, of course I'll pray with you. And so normally, I went and shut the door again, but normally, whenever people ask me to pray with them, they want me to lead the prayer. They want me to pray. They want me to speak words to them. Now this time, she grabbed my hands like she was in a hurry. And she just started praying. Oh God, I need you. Oh God, I want to know you. Oh Lord, I have to have you. 
And I just kept saying, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And as I started, kept saying, yes, Jesus, and saying that name and holding her hands, it was just a few minutes that the Holy Ghost came into that room and filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Those proving acts are at the top of the mountain today. It's not us. It's not anything we can do. But whenever we get into the Word and we see what He said He'll do, He'll do it. If I lay hands on someone who wants the Holy Ghost, if you lay hands on someone who wants the Holy Ghost, they can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If we lay hands and speak words of authority and belief and faith into someone's life, God can do something. He can heal the people that need healed. He can deliver the people that need delivered. The thing is, is that sometimes we don't take up the authority that we have. We don't believe the authority that we have. If I say by or in the name of Jesus, it's by His authority. Let it be so. I appreciate the word that Brother Gene preached Wednesday about the fruit of the lips, the fruit of the mouth. I think that's so important because the things that we speak have such power and authority. Why? They've been transformed by our relationship with God. So when we speak, when we act, when we do things, God will move. Well, I'm excited for what the Lord is going to do today. I hear His call. I want to be on the top of the mountain today. I'm running out of time, so just a few more minutes here, and I'll be done. But I want to remind you that'll be for another time. I feel the Lord's Spirit right now. Can we just stand? Can we stand right now? Hey, the Lord is speaking to us today. He's speaking to us today. Let's just lift our hands and seek Him right now.